millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From AccuWeather, this is everything under the sun. Real news and real stories covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore. Friends, welcome into the second episode of the new year, and it's going to be a busy one. As meteorologists and as a weather company, AccuWeather certainly has prided itself in its forecasting and having amazing meteorologists. And that is reflected in, as a meteorologist, kind of the pinnacle of our field is the American Meteorological Society. And it just had its annual meeting in the last couple of weeks. AccuWeather well represented, including a couple of amazing awards. We'll talk with those award winners and our chief meteorologist, John Porter, about where we are weather-wise in terms of forecast and some of the trends we talked about at the AMS and how that interplay between meteorologists and the public continues to be at the forefront as weather becomes more increasingly evident in its popularity and importance to people every day. And speaking of popularity and importance, the James Webb Telescope has been extremely popular and important now with its discoveries, and it itself has captured and discovered and documented the first exoplanet, the first planet outside our solar system. Friends, sit back and relax. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. So the first thing I'll say is I may lose total control of this interview at many points here, because when we get this group together, uh, especially these three, and they're just already joking about how they haven't been together since the AMS just a a week or so ago. But, you know, I want to I want to go and I'm going to go in in length of servitude. Bernie Reno now over 30 Oh, my goodness. That's true. It is true. Chief meteorologist for AccuWeather TV Network. Marshall Moss, almost 29 years. A long time. Yes. Vice President, Operation Quality and Innovation and Senior Meteorologist. I'm clocking in. Uh, next week will be my 25th anniversary of being hired at AccuWeather. So that's uh, congratulations. That's on me. That. You're well, thank you very you. much. And then the young kid on the block is Jonathan <laughs> Porter, who's closing in now on 19 years as that's right. chief forecaster. You know, the, the way I kind of wanted to get into this uh, before we talk about the amazing awards that Marshall and Bernie won. But, you know, I can remember when I first got into this industry and this business and and this field, and especially when I first started filling in for Elliot on some of the big stations, and he would go to AMS, be a very key integral figure, Elliot Abrams. Uh, I would mention that to the people that I was, you know, the stations I was filling in. And it was always like, oh, the wizards are getting together, right? You know, it's <laughs> like this. And I think what I wanted to do a little bit with this to talk about kind of pull the the curtain back on what the AMS is, how important it is to us as professionals, how it is really helping those of us who are in this profession try to navigate some of the changes that we're seeing in the way people want to get the weather, perceive the weather, and how to communicate the weather, uh, how to present the weather. I think it's uh, at the forefront of that. And, and, and just talk a little bit about that. I think it'll be interesting to people because, you know, they're getting the weather from us 
this and we need that support professionally. So I think it's important. So maybe just a couple of, and we'll go in that order that I just did, maybe two or three sentences about what AMS as an organization and this annual meeting mean to you. We'll start with Bernie Reno. You know, we get the meteorological community together. And uh, that to me is one of the most important things. And what I have learned when I've gone to AMS, I've sharpened my communication skills. I've sharpened my meteorology just because of being around people that are in the field and and get their takes on things. But I also think it, it helps just from a cooperation standpoint. You know what? Some of us were rivals, but we're also compatriots in a way. That's my takeaway is I always feel as if when I come home from the AMS National Conference, I'm a better uh, meteorologist. And I also think, uh, uh, you know, a better communicator. Marshall, what about you? What does uh, AMS mean to you as an organization and the annual meeting? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to getting everybody together, getting everybody on the same page to some degrees, um, networking together, learning from each other, you know, learning what works well, what doesn't work as well from from others' experiences. Um, also getting an opportunity to work with the students and early career professionals and help them grow and help them advance. You know, early in our careers, there was always somebody there to help us get where we've achieved. You know, now the onus is on us to help them get where they want to achieve. There's a plethora of avenues that the AMS is helpful for in, in advancing the science as a whole and, and helping meteorologists grow in their careers. And 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 really all of the facets, John, uh, of the the industry, whether it's theoretical and research driven, whether it's applied uh, like Marshall, whether it's communication like Bernie, all of those things. It's a big tent, the AMS, but then there's smaller tents for everybody, right? That's right. There's a home for everybody um, that's involved in uh, researching uh, the atmosphere and uh, and certainly forecasting and communicating about the weather and all the adjacent fields, aviation, and also uh, you know when you look at uh, all the work that goes on, for example, that we're heavily involved in in other transportation sectors um, and air quality. Uh, many of these areas, AccuWeather is uh, has a leadership role in. But Dean, as you mentioned, the AMS, which has been around, by the way, for more than a hundred years, yeah. So there's a, a a real strong historical connection to all the many men and women who have come before us in the weather community. It unifies the three different stools, as we call it, of the mm-hmm. weather enterprise, and that is the America's weather industry, which AccuWeather is obviously a key member of, but also the academic research community that. Um, performs all kinds of critical cutting-edge research uh, and also instructs the next generation of meteorologists and the large public government function uh, within the weather enterprise too, the National Weather Service and other uh, state agencies. And it uh, provides a forum for everybody to get together, learn from each other, and understand how we can best serve the American people within this diverse and growing weather enterprise. And and Dean, the AMS has over 12,000 members. And typically at the AMS, there's 5,000 or more people in person at these uh, events. This was the first event in many years due to the COVID-19 travel restrictions. So it was wonderful to see everybody once again. And I want to say, although as as, Bernie mentioned this well, there's strong competition within the uh, weather industry and within the weather uh, media but we all have a shared public service mission. And I think people outside the weather community would be surprised at how much collaboration there is and how much we want to work together 
to keep people informed and save lives and protect property in advance of increasing impacts from extreme weather. It's a little bit like sports, you know, there's an analogy there where, I mean, we can be competitive in in an an arena, but in the overall, you know, we want baseball or we want soccer or we want football to be good and healthy overall. And that's exactly why we do what we want to do. Or We we all share that mission of saving lives and protecting property and driving better decisions. Well, as John mentioned, over a hundred years of the AMS, in fact, this was the 103rd annual AMS meeting. It was held in Denver at the beginning of the month. As John said, one of the uh, hallmarks of AccuWeather has been its contribution to the industry. And uh, the AMS awards folks for their contribution to the industry and to people that are within the industry. And two of these uh, great folks uh, won awards. Um, I'm going to talk about the award real quick, and then I want John just to briefly mention that, and then we'll hear from the winners. Uh, Marshall won the award for outstanding contribution to the advance of applied meteorology for his innovative contributions in utilizing artificial intelligence to enhance weather, water, and climate prediction. And then our friend Bernie won the June Bacon Bursey Award for broadcast meteorology for his entertaining and informative television and internet weather videos and his training of other distinguished weather communicating professionals. John is an overview, chief meteorologist, vice president. I know these guys are your peers and have been with you for a long time, but it's got to be proud to be part of an organization that continues to get recognized by this organization and these two individuals in particular. Well, that's right. And AccuWeather has a long history of these uh, uh, types of awards. As you mentioned, we have the a largest number of these awards that have been bestowed upon any company uh, within the uh, AMS uh, community and the largest number of individuals here at AccuWeather uh, that have won these awards uh, versus any other uh, weather source. And so these are, I just, what I would say about these, these are major awards. There are only a small number of these given out each and every year. They're very prestigious um, and to have, uh, as you said, my long-term colleagues and more importantly, my friends who are very humble themselves and uh, they don't often stop their important work to uh, to think about the impact that they're personally having. But to have both Marshall and Bernie win these awards, it was so meaningful and I'm so proud of both of them, not only for their work, but I want to also recognize both of them for the commitment and passion that they have for inspiring the next generation of meteorologists. Uh, This is something that many people outside of AccuWeather and the Weather Enterprise might not see, uh, but they are both extremely gracious with their time in helping students and early career professionals navigate their way. They always take time to help the next generation of meteorologists, and I could not be more proud of them for these two major awards. To put it in a nutshell, Marshall's uh, task here over the years at AccuWeather has been to take what is infinitely complex and get it into a form that people can immediately call up information, hourly, minute, uh, all those kinds of things that work in kind of taking 
the information and the data and creating a database or a, a, a repository for us to forecast so we can make that happen on the digital side and the things we do. That's been your primary focus, Marshall. And, you know, it's got to be as someone who was on the forefront of that when this was just kind of, a, you know, a, an idea to see how this has evolved so quickly. Pretty amazing stuff from your standpoint, right? Yeah, I mean, it's been such an exciting opportunity from early in my career to have been able to work with forecast systems and the the wealth of data and the evolving landscape of data to be able to take all this information, figure out how to make the best possible forecast, drive the best decisions over time. It's just not something many people have gotten to do. Be able to teach a computer to speak in a way that a human would speak. And to do it in all the different languages and all the different dialects, you know, it's something breed out of the great opportunity that I've had here at AccuWeather that AccuWeather has given me to work with this. Um, you know, I like to say we were doing AI before AI was a thing, before AI was cool. Yeah. Right? Figuring right. out, we using were, the we... AccuWeather philosophy of, you know, consensus forecasting and taking that to the data back in the early days of, you know, of my career back in the 90s and saying, you know, yeah, we could load one model in, but if I'm able to blend multiple inputs, I'm going to get a better forecast and figuring out how do I blend these in the best manner to give me the most accuracy. Um, and it's not just scientific accuracy, it's also perceived accuracy. Because if it doesn't drive the correct decision, if it doesn't help people make the right decision, then it's not of use, no matter how technically accurate it was. So that's where the, the whole... Uh, Ability to speak like a human comes in to be able to explain the weather in terms that people understand and can make decisions off of. That's the real achievement. And by the same token, I mean, AccuWeather has been longstanding a pioneer in the way we broadcast uh, radio, television, and um, we we were setting the bar on that and person that learned from the best and now is teaching people to be the best is Bernie Reno. And Bernie, I know... Uh, Believe it or not, he's a very humble person. <laughs> I know sometimes. And, it, and Dean, it, let me throw in here. I mean, uh, having been able to watch Bernie train broadcasters yeah. over the course of the last couple of decades, there's nobody better. I mean, he cares. Not. He develops a great rapport with everybody he works with and coaches them in a in the way and in a style that helps them become the best at what they do. So Bernie said he wouldn't talk unless he was asked a question. So Bernie, how do you feel about this? Or is it just hard uh, to hear people talk it, to you, talk it, about it, you like it, this? It's, it's, it's very humbling. And I'm trying not to tear up actually, because it means a lot to me. Um, it was a big honor for me to get that award. And, um, you know, I want to congratulate Marshall. And I don't think if, unless people, you know, we're here at AccuWeather, don't understand what he's done. Right. I mean, uh, our our everyday operations has built from what Marshall has made and 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 helped made. And and again, I remember he's been doing and this a long time. Programmers. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> but it's he he's been at the forefront of but that. You have Obviously, the vision, this, Marshall. I mean, he had the vision, and vision right? he he's done a lot for that. So I I want to congratulate him on that. Um, Thank you, Bernie. You know, it, it was an honor. I did not realize how much of an honor it would be. I knew it was big. A couple of things I remember, you know, walking off the stage and, you know, the this founder of AccuWeather got up out of his seat to congratulate me on the way out of the auditorium because I had to go to a career fair right afterwards. So that that is something I remember. And, you know, I've always, when I got into this field, 
you know, the only thing I ever wanted was I didn't really care about any kind of accolades. Uh, What I really wanted was to be known and respected in the meteorological community because it means so much to me. And and I think by having that award, I'm I'm, I'm getting there to where I want to be. But, you know, it's just such an honor to be in this field. And, you know, one last story is my highlight of the AMS is you know, we're all proud of the university we come from. But when we go to the Penn State reception and you see the history and I get to be a part of that history is 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 a big honor for me. And, you know, not only that, but just being part of the organization of AccuWeather that has won awards. And, you know, I can say that I'm part of that and that, that I guess I will never be able to put in the words how much that means to me. And secondly, when I do meet students, Marshall talked about this, you know, students have come up to me and I, I don't like saying this, but they, they told me I inspired them. Me, yeah, you know, someone, me inspired yeah. someone to be a meteorologist and it inspired them to look at the weather. I mean, that is, you know, that's worth more than anything you know, yep. uh, that I can describe. And, and and one last thing is, you know, June Bacon Beercy. I mean, for anybody that don't know her, read up on her and to be mentioned in the same, you know, breath with her is, is, is an, uh, an honor I won't forget. And I get to, and I get to have that honor for the rest of my life. Yeah. You do. I mean, how do you, and that's why, you know, when I hear John and, you know, it, 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 you know, I, I didn't come on here thinking I was going to tear up, but it, it, well, it means that much to me. I, but I think anyone who, most people who really get it and get the awards in the end have the attitude that you and Marshall did because you weren't doing this for the award. You were doing this <laughs> because you wanted right. to make the industry better. So let's talk I don't about think either of us truly feel worthy, but I'll, let me throw in one more plug. Sure. Weather actually also. Oh, yeah. Plume Labs, right? a third award this year. Yeah. Plume Labs by AccuWeather won in a corporate award as well. So I'm um, actually for their tremendous work on uh, air quality. And we've talked yep. about that yep. on everything under the sun over the last couple of years, how we're so fortunate that they've joined forces with AccuWeather and really cutting at stuff on the air quality. So, yeah, that, that I yep. did. Thank you, Marshall, for mentioning that. But. You know, to take this now, let's I want to do a couple of uh, things here. To me, these are a couple of the things that I'm struggling with as a meteorologist, and I wanted to see if these were addressed at the annual meeting. Ability to communicate weather challenges to people, because now a lot of the language that we used to use to talk about severity has been co-opted to me by media making these words and things and phrases seem much worse. Well, now let me say it this way. They take a a smaller event and add these big words and phrases and and superlatives to them, which then to me makes the bigger events that we're having more and more harder to communicate how bad it is. There, There was definitely talk about that, Dean. I mean, at the end of the day, using these big terms too much desensitizes the public to them. And in some cases can prevent people from taking action because they're just, oh, it didn't happen last time. It, it won't happen this time kind of thing. The sky um, is falling. The sky is falling. But I don't know that we have, have necessarily a great answer for it yet. And I'll see what Bernie or John have to say toward that. But um, it's definitely something as a challenge that we need to address. You know, it's interesting. John and I have talked about this. There has been always a push within the industry to talk about risk and risk, risk, risk. 
you know, weather events, what's the risk, you know, of getting six inches of snow? What's the risk of 10 inches of snow? What's the risk of severe weather? Is it high? Is it low? But I think we have to be careful. In the end, you have to make a forecast and you can't be afraid of making a forecast. And if you're afraid of being wrong in this field, then you're never going to be right either. You're so in the wrong field. <laughs> you're, then you're in the wrong field. But John and, and, and Marshall, we've talked about this as well. There's the statistical guidance and statistical forecast and risk. And I believe that has to be factored in. But in the end, I think the number one thing people still want from us is a forecast. And my concern is within the field, I'm going to be quite honest, within the field of meteorology, there's been too much of a move to me to get away from a forecast and do more risk instead of giving a deterministic forecast. I, I, I do believe there is certainly, you have to be careful, you have to weigh all, weigh all risks in, but in the end, you have to make a forecast and you can't be afraid to do so, John. And that's because at the end of the day, a user, a person, a business needs to make a decision. Yes, right? no, that's go where we're, not, right? That's right. That's right. what we're all after here. And, and that's why the um, there's a lot of wisdom in the AccuWeather philosophy about how we approach the com- not only just the forecasting, but also the communication of big of big weather events and everyday weather events to help people uh, so that the information that we provide is best positioned to help with that decision making. Uh, sometimes when it's when lives are on the line or on an everyday situation where you need to make a uh, a much a, a, a decision that's a, a less of less importance, but still. Uh, important to your day-to-day life. And so that's that balance is there. Uh, Dean, as you said, there was a lot of discussion about this. Are people being um, oversaturated with terms like atmospheric rivers and polar vortex and bomb cyclones and things like this? And look, at the end of the day, there's in my mind, there's two things. One is obviously we can't overuse those terms and over-sensationalize weather. And that's something we're very careful not to do here at AccuWeather on the one hand. But on the other hand, those terms do help people understand when appropriately applied the magnitude and potential impact of an event. So they are helpful in that regard. The other thing that they're helpful to is in um, making people interest, interested in it or curious about it from a scientific perspective to learn more. So uh, there's a big piece about this very topic in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago after the AMS conference. But the fact of the matter is, is and I think that Times piece actually missed this aspect of it, which is that they do raise the awareness in the public about major impacts and drive preparation, which is a good thing, and drive curiosity, but they can't be overused. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Indeed, one of the Go things that's really with the forefront of leading on this with some of the products that we've introduced that ensure that not only are we providing the deterministic forecast people need, but supplementing that with additional information that our users can view um, and utilize to make their decisions. For example, the snow probabilities product we have in our winter cast um, that show you know the most likely amount of snow, but also what are the chances of other amounts. Um, the wording that we use in our forecasts that you know will tell you the deterministic, but also discuss hey you know there'll be higher amounts north and west of the city. You know, so if you're traveling, snowfall, right, this is what right, you're going right. to run into. Correct. 
So we've really been at the forefront of making sure that we're communicating in a way that helps drive those best decisions. One other quick topic, uh, we're, you know, with this group, it's easy to run out of time. Um, We've got uh, just a quick thought about the future of the industry in terms of uh, the folks that are coming in. Uh, Do you feel confident about that, what you see at AMS with the young influx of meteorologists? I'll start with John, because I know you may have to drop off quicker than the rest. John, what do you think about the future? The future is very bright. When we talk with the uh, hundreds of students that were uh, uh, maybe up to a thousand that were at the uh, conference, they're so they're they're such they have such passion and interest in wanting to make a difference, learn about the science. There's so many within the entire AMS community uh, that can share that and uh, share the learnings of of uh, the decades to help uh, uh, continue to, to build their careers. Uh, I see uh, lots of passion, as I mentioned, but also interest in the application of meteorology to other fields, to communication, like we've talked about, to emergency management, to artificial intelligence, to machine learning that AccuWeather is a leader in in, in that regard as well. So uh, the future is very bright. And I was also very proud of our team. Uh, we had about uh, maybe 12 of our AccuWeather team members there from at one point in, or another in time. And and those experts delivered nine presentations and papers in, uh, across a wide variety of topics, far more than any other company that, that was there, including both Bernie and Marshall um, in, in their respective areas of, of, of expertise. So that was great to see the continued AccuWeather contribution there. And the uh, the impact much broader of the entire AMS community. John, thank you. I know that you got to run here, but I'll get the, some comments on this from both the people who have worked with students over the last several years. Uh, Marshall, then Bernie, what do you think about that topic about the future of this industry? Uh, the future is bright. I mean, the students coming out today. I mean, they they feel like they're smarter than ever. You know, um, this is a generation that's grown up with the internet, so they've been looking at information all their lives as opposed to, you know, when me and Bernie were coming out of school, we had it in school and that was it. Hieroglyphics. No didn't, didn't, didn't you guys get maps and hieroglyphics back then when you guys went to school? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. But is, I mean, I'll go the opposite argument for the sake of argument are the, is the new crop of meteorologists, the younger crowd too model driven and not as yes. much about pattern. So I'll let Bernie hit that one though. Cause I know he's very passionate about that subject. Well, uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now, listen, the younger meteorologists coming out are a heck of a lot smarter than I was. I'm going to say that right up. They are, uh, you know, when I came to Penn state, the only model I knew or any models I heard about were on the runways in Paris. You know, Whoa. I never saw any, you know, we came to school. We, I never saw a computer model. How would I, the right. internet wasn't born. There wasn't any access to it. You know, when we see a lot of younger forecasters that come in here and they, they teach me a lot of stuff. A lot of newer techniques, which cannot be underestimated. However, yes, in our field, there is too much reliance on statistical guidance. There is too much reliance on modeling. And I think that as a lot of these younger meteorologists get in the field, I think what they will do is they will learn, like I did, like I did, that you know, you've got to, you've got to see pattern recognition and, you know, 
there's a game within the game that goes on with modeling all the time. You have to understand how they work in a way. Yeah. So I, I think they'll continue to improve and, and like I did, but that is a problem within our field. I, I, I like There's the no question that we have here, which is yes. kind of that balance between, you know, the, the applied meteorology and what's coming from the artificial intelligence and the computers and then the intelligence that only can be applied by a human that sees things in a different way than um, just the, the statistics. So uh, I think, you know, and we have a track record then of teaching that skill to people and, and it's really good. So I know Jonathan had to uh, get off the uh, call here because get to some other things, but I just want to thank the two of you for being with me here. And, and, and I think, again, I think this helps people understand uh, kind of a behind the curtains situation about this great organization, AMS, and what it does for us as meteorologists and what it has done for this company. Because yeah. I think AccuWeather, it's been a, a big part of that. And thank you both for contributing and I appreciate uh, you being here. This, uh, thank this you. Episode. You know, over 60 plus years at AccuWeather, uh, of AccuWeather, Dean, yeah. there are just so many tremendous, tremendous people, um, both meteorologists and on the business side. Um, that have helped get us where we need to be. Um, it has helped me and Bernie and, and everybody else grow in our careers. And mm. um, I know, you know, we're so thankful for all the work that they have done and, and setting us up for the opportunities that we have had. And let me tell you something, Mr. Porter, I've never met anybody that is so well connected within the meteorological oh, community. Yeah. And I will tell you this, I don't believe there's a person that is more respected or as respected as Mr. Porter is in the meteorological community. Absolutely. And uh, it's, it's amazing to see One his reach within the community. Now he would never say that about no. himself, but um, mm -hmm. that, that is something I wanted to, end with but it, you know it, it is always a highlight of my year being able to go to that conference uh and uh, anybody that has an opportunity to do so especially if you are a student it is an invaluable experience it really is appreciate the awesome. time john porter bernie reno and marshall moss we're going to take a break here when we come back there's been a discovery of an exoplanet from the James Webb Telescope. We're going to tell you about it. Coming up next, this is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Friends, welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. As we get uh, into our second segment here in our second episode of the new year, uh, we're going to actually go past the sun. In case you missed it, at the beginning of the month... 
NASA announced that the James Webb Telescope had discovered its first exoplanet, and it's exciting because it's nearly the same size as Earth. It's got some characteristics that we're interested in, and a person to tell us exactly what we need to know about it is Guangwei Fu. Guangwei is in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at Johns Hopkins University, and he's been doing research on exoplanet atmospheric characteristics and statistical comparative exoplanetology. Guangwei Fu joins us to talk about this amazing discovery here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. So, Guangwei, I think the first question that I would have for you is maybe some people are... um, you know, heard the the term exoplanet, but not exactly sure what that means. Uh, to me, it means very simply any planet that's outside our own solar system, right? Correct. So exoplanet is short for extrasolar planet, actually. Extrasolar just means everything outside the solar system, as you said. So any planets orbiting star that's other than our sun, we call it exoplanet. So we're looking now with the results of this amazing James Webb telescope. And my partner was a fan of James Webb from the very beginning. You know, every day we would look at the progress of how, you know, you send this thing up into space. It's got, you know, months and months of work to do once it gets into space, unfurling all those things to make sure that the heat shield was right. And the and I know that all that work and build up, you just kind of hope and pray and say good things to the science gods that this is actually going to work. And it's been actually working. And so the stuff that's coming out is amazing. And this is the first exoplanet that the James Webb Telescope has confirmed, right? This uh, thing that we're talking about here? Yeah, it was definitely, I remember I was watching the launch. Um, I stayed up all night watching the launch. It was definitely a very anxious time. And then there was a six-month deployment testing. But now, you know, we got actually the science data down the, the telescope's the telescope is working uh, beautifully and the data quality is very high so far. Yeah, so this is the first confirmation of an exoplanet with James, James Webb. It's kind of a lucky accident. I mean, James Webb wasn't designed to <laughs> search for exoplanet. This was first uh, listed as a planet candidate from the NASA test mission. So the NASA test mission is actually a planet hunting mission dedicated to find exoplanets. And what happens is, it was a very high confidence planet candidate in the test catalog. And then we decided to follow up with uh, James Webb. You know, the first uh, thing would be, you know, confirm this is the actual planet. And then secondly, we also want to hopefully get a spectra, transmission spectra of the planet and uh, answer the question if, if the planet has an atmosphere or not. And if it does, was it made of? So I guess I, that I was going to ask you why your team decided to look at that that section, LHS 475, that star system uh, for the existence of an exoplanet. But that you're saying is kind of James Webb kind of took uh, the lead from some other people that were looking at that situation earlier. And then we're using James Webb to kind of increase that knowledge and and do what we did, which was actually uh, take the suspicion that there was something there and and confirm it. Is that is that how that went? The first order of the, the goal of the project is, you know, first confirmed this is a planet. Because it could, it could be a you know, background star or contamination from the other uh, test mission. But the, the more important secondary goal 
I guess it's also de de determine if the planet has an atmosphere or not, which the other mission could not have done. It was a, it was a smaller telescope designed to find planets. Um, but James Webb, with the larger aperture, which which means more photon we're going to gather, we can get more precision uh, light curve um, data to determine a it is a planet, uh, b also its transmission spectra, and uh, so that's the kind of the two parts of this project. Now, when we look at this planet, the, the the amazing things that you're starting to glean in that information, I think one of the things is that it is almost nearly identical in size to Earth, right? Uh, it's probably like 90, when I'm reading, 99% the size of Earth, so it's like right in the wheelhouse of being the same size? That's one of the things that was unknown. So because the exquisite data from James Webb, we're able to narrow down the radius of the planet to 99% of the Earth, plus minus, I think, half a percent. That's the one sigma uncertainty. Uh, it is, we believe, is basically the same composition as Earth, because given the same radius, it's really hard to have a different composition, different mass as two different from Earth. So the thing we, we believe is very similar to Earth composition, but the difference is it, this planet is a lot hotter than Earth. It's about, I think, Probably five six hundred Kelvin. You know, given Earth is probably two eighty, so that's that's almost that's more than double Earth's uh, temperature. So I wouldn't no, I wouldn't say it's an Earth-like planet in that right. sense. Right, yeah. but by size, and we know it's a rocky planet versus a gaseous giant like Saturn yeah. and Neptune. Is that what I'm reading? Yeah, we are, we are very confident it is a rocky planet because given. The size, uh, one Earth radii, we don't think it's possible you can make a gas giant from that based on the size. Yeah. Now, have we determined a type of atmosphere? Have we determined the orbit time around the parent star? Are those things now that we, using James Webb, have been able to determine any of those characteristics? Uh, we knew the orbit before. Um, so the, the way you determine the orbit is, is measure multiple transit of the planet from a star, which was measured by the test mission. And the orbit is around the order of two-ish days. And uh, for the atmosphere, that's the that's the warehouse of the uh, James Webb uh, Space Telescope, because only this telescope has the position and the wavelength coverage and the spectral capability to do it. So we got this a spectra from three to five microns in the infrared. And uh, what we found is we didn't find the evidence for an atmosphere. We can rule out certain type of composition of the atmosphere because if you have very, say, very light composition like hydrogen and helium, right, um, your atmosphere is going to be more puffy, which means your atmosphere signal would be larger than a, a, than a bare rock without atmosphere, which we did not measure any uh, atmosphere features, which you can root out the, the lighter composition of atmospheres. But we didn't root out, say, a very a tenuous atmosphere like Mars. Mars does have an atmosphere, but it's very thin compared to Earth-like. Or we didn't root out the possibility that it could have like a Venus-like atmosphere, which has a very cloud deck, which also can mute out your atmosphere absorption features. So we can say, confidently say, um, this atmosphere is not, say, hydrogen, helium, or a lot of methane because methane has a large absorption feature. But we could, we could not root out the possibility that it could have a very thin atmosphere still, 
so that will require you know, more observation and then we'll combine them. Actually, we still have one observation scheduled next year. Oh, this year, I guess. It's already 2023. <laughs> yeah, time flies when you're yeah, having fun. Yeah. This is just the beginning, right? Uh, Guangwei, yeah. it is just the beginning of this process of us being able to identify these exoplanets. And now with James Webb, really do much more analysis on potential atmosphere and those kinds of things where we couldn't do that with other telescopes, right? This is uh, certainly groundbreaking. Yeah, this is the first time we have the capability that we can actually look into the atmosphere, say in the the infrared, look for the CO2 feature, looking for the uh, methane feature, which we did not have access to with other uh, NASA telescope like TESS or HST, you know, Hubble Space Telescope, uh, because that's focused on different wavelengths and they have different aperture, which means uh, less photon and the... Uh, James Webb allows us to do that. So uh, as somebody who's just young and into this field, this has to be exciting for you. Do you think that now we're going to see a rapid acceleration in finding out things and this exploration because of James Webb? And this has to be for people like you that are looking out through the telescopes and all those kinds of things. It has to be a real exciting time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very exciting. Uh, yeah, I just graduated last year. I finished my PhD in... Um, in the summer, so that's when web started gathering data. Is you know, I took a little bit of time off, and but you know, since like July, August, and now it's just new data coming in all the time. Data, data, data from Jim Swift's coming in faster than you know, we could we could process it in, in a way. Different projects all coming in the same time. Yeah, a lot of different data. We're already learning a lot of different things about exoplanet, exoplanet atmosphere, finding new chemical species new composition of those atmosphere new properties right yeah very exciting time and this this marks the first time we had a chance to look at a rocky uh exoplanet as atmosphere and there's more to come for this uh project so this project has i believe total around six uh planets this is just the first of the bunch yeah Gwenwei, thank you so much this has been extremely exciting i think uh you know, as we hear these news and uh, pieces of news and, and things, I think those of us who spend time on Earth looking up at the stars at night, uh, it's all, obviously our dreams are starting to become reality here where we're certainly uh, identifying things and going forward with that. I think there's a lot of amazing GBC data coming down, you know, follow the, the GBC, you know, social media on Twitter, you know, the post out a lot of new exciting results all the time. So. Sounds yeah. good. I, I will put those links and stuff in the uh, in the podcast uh, notes and stuff. So thank you so much. Appreciate the time. This Thanks so great. much. Thank you. Thank you. Friends, that'll wrap up this week's episode of Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks again to Guangwei Fu and our great meteorologists, Bernie Reno, Marshall Moss, and Jonathan Porter. Friends, that'll do it for this week's episode. Coming ahead, more episodes where we take a first raise of focus segment. We talk about history, sports, science in our second segment. And all that's coming up here over the next few weeks as we drop this podcast mid to late week. Every week going ahead, we look forward to talking with you about the weather and its interest to you and those around you. For our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, and all of us, our amazing team members at AccuWeather.com that work hard every day to weatherproof your life, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week as Episode 3 of this new year drops on everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.